yours is starting to like trail on, like it kind of stops and then it starts up again. <laughs> So welcome to But What If I Tried Acting, the podcast where we discuss the filmographies of singers, rappers, or, you know, just general music people who have transitioned into acting careers. I'm Sanchez. I am with my lovely co-hosts, Butler. Hello. And Garth. Hey, girl. Hey. Hello. Remember when we were all saying that? I do. I still say it. No one still says that. People say things like, like hey sus, like what? Hey what sus. Are you up to? They just say yeah. sus in everyday context now outside of the game. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so for this week we have watched the incredible film Cradle to the Grave. It was released February twenty eighth, two thousand three. Um, in the script outline it says Winter Graveyard release, but I don't work in film and I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that's <laughs> some sort of like where all the winter theme movies go to die. Yeah, it, 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 it no, is, it, yeah. it's not winter theme movies so much as like so after Oscar season, like January, February, and March is when like they yeah. put out all the bullshit movies that the studio knows aren't going to do well. <laughs> it's it's basically where you send a movie out to die. Yeah, like, basically. Like cats. No. I saw that in February. Actually, yeah, it might have been cats. Well, well, I think cats technically like they tried to get it in for some Oscar stuff, but um, yeah, I thought they started the releases in like December or something. Wasn't it a holiday movie? Yeah. I mean, it was. It had a really long run, and then they took they took it out of theaters to re-edit it, and then they re-released it. So I think it just Incredible. had an extended run. Plus, it was really popular, making a lot of money, so it stayed in the theaters for a long time, to my memory. Cats was making money. Yes, Cats was making money because everybody kept buying joke tickets, if I remember Oh, right. that's fair. I did do that. that. And it was worth it. It was really fun. Um, yeah, I think right. we know lots of people that did that. <laughs> I still have not seen Cats. Yeah, we need to fix that. We keep trying to fix it. But to be fair, like, we, I don't, you know, we keep saying we need to do it with, like, edibles and stuff. And some of us don't have access to that right now. So, you know. I want to see it stone cold sober. I still don't well, know why. That's one way to see it. Um, okay. So, back to the movie that we're about to be talking about, um, and not Cats, a different movie we're not talking about. Uh, this was uh, another movie directed by Andre Bartkoviak? That sounds right. Sure. Close enough? Yeah. yeah sure. Um, so, yeah, this is like the third movie that we've watched of his in a row. Um, and, yeah, it is the finale of the Bartkoviak DMX Joel Silver trilogy. So, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. It has been. Um, been great. Yeah. I'm ready to Story move Story by... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Some of us are really enjoying yeah, it. Kind of hard to disagree, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, stories by John O'Brien, written by John O'Brien and Channing Gibson. Starring DMX, Jet Li, Gabrielle Union, Anthony Anderson, Tom Arnold, Drag On, Mark DeCascos. Yeah. Mark DeCascos, Paige Hurd, uh, Shy McBride, Kelly Hu, and that guy from The Shield who murdered his wife. Very cool. I mean, you missed a few really important cameos there. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. or not, but there were really important UFC cameos. No. No. No? No. 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 
No. Oh, but really? <laughs> no, we, 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 you have a designated space to nerd out on <laughs> acorns. Bullshit. Fine. It's not. What? How dare you? <laughs> this, fine. I, no. Punch, punching beefcakes. They have their own section, and I refuse to discuss them at any other point in this podcast. We're starting a band called Punching Beefcakes. <laughs> that does, honestly, it sounds like a, a not what not a metal band. What is it that you keep trying to get me to do? A punk band. Yeah, it does sound like a punk band. You name. can't even I remember the be... name punk. <laughs> <laughs> we have this game with Butler where we try to like feed her like names of punk songs, and she can never remember them, or they come back in like hilariously garbled and miscommunicated ways. Yeah, it's like Google Translate band names, basically. Uh, But that is to say, punching beefcakes is definitely something I would be tricked into thinking is a legitimate punk name. Hey, you guys. Yes? Dame Grease is back. Who? Who? The the producer from the last episode who did the music, and he's doing the music for this one, too. Oh, the music oh, producer? Sorry, I was about to say, like, no, Joel Silver produced this. The, yeah. the one you guys care about a lot? I I can say with 100% confidence that I do not care about this at I all. don't, I'm sorry. The only dame I care about really is Dame Judy Dench. Fair. I agree with that. I bet you'd care if it was, like, some douchebag from Gogol Bordello or whatever. Yeah, from probably. Where? That would be really cool. <laughs> Gogol Bordello? Well, I also, like, deep cut. Thank you, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> I like I can't find that t-shirt anywhere and I'm devastated. Oh no. I'm so I, lost. Thank you. It's not the Gogol Bordello t-shirt. Th- thank you. Thank you. Thank no, you. It, it's a shirt that matters to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean I'm sorry I'm sorry you lost it and it matters to you. This is a great okay. example of our wide variety of tastes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um we all like different things. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fine. I'm sorry, Garth. I should support here's... you in your Dame Grease love. Please tell us more about them. Please tell us more about Dame. I want to care. Well, no. What, what I was going to say was Stop. like, I guess here's some trivia both of you guys do care about. Okay. Which is that the yeah. cinematographer for this movie, uh, Darren Okada? No, Okada. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Next year, a year after the release of Frail to the Grave, he would go on to shoot Mean Girls. Oh my gosh! Ooh, I do that care is, about that. That's very exciting news. Oh my gosh! Two yeah. movies that really shaped my childhood: this movie and Mean Girls. That's oh. why both these movies look alike. <laughs> I can't think of two movies that have looked less alike. <laughs> Remember the scene in Cradle to the Grave where uh, she gets hit by a bus. The two ladies in this movie do fight, just like when Regina George fights Lindsay Lohan. So yeah, I mean, I guess he was prepared to do all the you know, shoot all of those animal fight sequences really well. So. And they, and they yes. find Gabrielle Union's burn book. Yes. <laughs> Gabrielle Union would have an incredible burn book. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she would honestly. Like think yeah. of all the shows mm-hmm. that she could call out for you know not being nice yeah. to her. Yeah. Yeah. Including this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Garth, tell us some more about the music of this time. What's going on with DMX music-wise? Uh, so music-wise, uh, a few months after he put out the last movie, Exit Wounds, uh, he put out his fourth album, which is The Great Depression. Uh, the singles being Who We Be and We Right Here and I Miss You with Faith Evans. Um, 
not one of his like best selling or most beloved albums, but it still it still went platinum. It's still his fourth platinum album in a row. Um, mm-hmm. and I personally think it's underrated. So there. Oh, okay. Um, it is in fact the 109th highest selling album of 2001. Uh, your number cool. one highest selling album of 2001 is One by the Beatles. The best of Lame the Beatles man. compilation. No. This is where mm. the music industry was in early, early 2000s, I guess. Um, I, yeah. Whatever. Other albums that sold more than DMX's The Great Depression include Hot Shot by Shaggy. Now we're the, talking. <laughs> nice. This is the nice. number two yeah. highest selling album of 2001. Uh, now Love That's it. What I Call Music 5. Nice. Oh my gosh. Nice. nice. Um, the Coyote Ugly soundtrack. Nice. Yeah, another yeah. good soundtrack. <laughs> Very good soundtrack. Very good cable movie. Oh yes, like, another really good sleepover movie, just like Mean Girls. A very oh, good yeah. sleepover. Yes, so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. Oh, Garth, what? You see, what? I don't objectify women. You need to watch Chelsea that before Butler. Cats. Oh my god, yeah, oh. they like learn about friendship or whatever. Uh, we yeah. got Aaron's Party by Aaron Carter. Aaron's oh, Party yeah. by Aaron Carter? <laughs> yeah, the 35th so highest selling album of 2001. I had that CD. It was great. <laughs> and oh um, of course, some of our, some of the favorites on this podcast, uh, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water by Limp Biscuit. Boo. Boo. Uh, Human Clay by Creed. Nice. And newcomer Silver Side Up by Nickelback, the 80th nice. highest selling album of 2001. Nope. Nice. Boo. I don't remember that nice. album. Uh, also, uh, an album that sold less than The Great Depression, but a <laughs> notable inclusion is Papa Roach's Infest, which I bring up because apparently we follow them on Twitter? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. One day I was like... We gotta get those Papa updates, son. <laughs> Wait, which of us is a Papa Roach fan? Who among us isn't a Papa me? Roach Me! Name me some oh Papa Roach songs. Name oh my me some God. popular you Papa you Roach know, songs. You know the song. Which one? You, okay, I... It's sing like, me the song. Are you ready? Yes. I will sing it to you. I will serenade Let's hear it. I want to hear it. Okay. It's like, this is the first part, okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Come on. You have to convince me. I, I don't know these songs. Somebody the either needs to give me some names or they need to start singing. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. What? <laughs> I don't know this song. I don't know this song. No, I don't know this song. I don't know who Papa Why would you think Papa would know this song? Because it was on the radio like every day for I like two years. I don't remember this song. I remember actively oh avoiding this band as soon as I saw like their oh album cover had a cockroach on it. I was like, I Full want no part of that. Oh no part I of can't. it. But that I roach is a father. You. What? It's Papa yeah. Roach. Wait, is that yeah. actually, like, the idea? I don't, I don't fucking know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know anything about this band, all right? I'm extremely gullible when it comes to music. <laughs> all right, moving on. Um, Are you sure it's time to move on, Garth? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the only, like, noteworthy thing to say here is that, like, uh, it's important to remember that, like, you know, you release an album at the end of the one, one year, like, sales will bleed into the next. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's weird bullshittery with the way Billboard calculates album sales and, you know, when people put albums out, mm-hmm. but, you know, in, in case that 
helps you come to terms with the fact that Shaggy outsold DMX in 2001. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm perfectly fine with it. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Sorry. As much as I love DMX, I do also really love Shaggy. <laughs> okay. Um, so 2002, uh, kind of a quiet year for DMX um, for reasons mm. we'll get into later. Uh, as far as music, uh, he was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rap Solo Performance. Which he cool. lost to Missy Elliott for "Get Your Freak On." Ah, uh, you know, those like the breaks. That's uh, your good your other nominees were "Izzo" by Jay Z, "Ride with Me" by Nelly, and "Because I Got High" by Afro Man. Ah, uh, it's a real nice. competitive year. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, do we all think this was the right call? Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's a competitive year, but there's a clear winner. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think there's like a clear. I, I, if to me, it's kind of a debate between Izzo and Get Your Freak On, but there are, there are better songs on Blueprint, so I will give it to Missy Elliott. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, by the way, is the his third Grammy nomination. Oh, cool. Uh, the year before, nice. I didn't bring this up. Uh, he mm -hmm. was nominated for Best Rap Album and Best Rap Solo Performance for, and then there was X and Party Up, respectively, both of which he lost to Eminem. Dang. Rude. Yeah, we, we are in the Eminem era now, as the yeah. beginning yeah. of Cradle to the Grave lets us know. Yeah, exactly. Um, nice that they did a yeah. song together, though, to kind of bring the two sides together. Like, yes, did he lose to him, but he also, you know, shared a song with him. Yeah. Also, um, here's your nostalgia hit. Your mm -hmm. album of the year in the Grammys was the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. I don't hate that, honestly. <laughs> which I'm sure both of you listen to obsessively. I did. I, I was obsessed with it when I was in like fourth, fifth grade. Really? I haven't seen that movie all the way through. I'm like not kidding. I like was obsessed with that movie. Really? Yeah. I did, I did not see this coming. I thought I thought this. Would <laughs> I be, was like, so surprised. I, I assumed that like the only thing you were watching was like Fight Club. No, I was like obsessed with this movie. That was me, Garth. <laughs> I was also watching Fight Club, but I like no, I legit like loved this movie, and I had the CD. Interesting. I think you're getting your Chelsea's confused. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also haven't seen Bro Brother Where Art Thou all the way through. I think I've only seen snippets, so I've never listened to the soundtrack. I just know there's that one song that they perform on stage and they like clap some spoons together or something. <laughs> it's a pretty accurate summary of the movie in general. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Okay, well, then there we go. I've seen the movie. Yeah. You know, close enough. Uh, I didn't, yeah. So I'll go back and watch it. Also, uh, your song of the year was uh fallen by alicia keys oh that's a good okay. one okay still arguably the best alicia keys single it's pretty good yeah yeah it yeah. is good yeah um but on the legal end uh <laughs> so i'm pretty sure this was some fallout from the prison tray incident mentioned in the last episode in which dmx <laughs> threw a prison tray at a prison guard um he enters rehab in 2002, and I, I couldn't get, an, like, an exact date on when, uh, but mm -hmm. it was mentioned in the IMDb trivia, uh, I could not verify this either, that he was sober, relatively speaking, during the production of this movie. Hmm, okay. So I'm assuming that means probably, like, early 2002? Okay. Um, also, on the legal end, there was another animal cruelty raid. Uh, 13 counts of animal cruelty, two counts of maintaining a nuisance, and one count each of disorderly conduct and possession of drug paraphernalia. They uh, need to have, like, animal cruelty rehab. Yeah, like, well, I mean... It's a place where you, like, go and relearn to, like, respect animals and be nice to them. 
Well, he argue, arguably like respects them too much. I mean, the, the thing to remember <laughs> here is that these these aren't dogfighting arrests. This this is because like he just hoards pit bulls and then just like doesn't properly take care of him. Right. Oh, interesting. Like, right. like, I guess he yeah. just needs to go to like dog parent school then. Yeah, like Yeah, or just like hire like a dog person to like Yeah, well, I mean like if you read DMX's autobiography, like the psychology of him and dogs becomes abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. You know, he was basically like a homeless teenager for a bit and he would just like befriend dogs on the street. Oh. Right. And like some of the most traumatizing shit in that book is like a cop shot one of his dogs in front of like it, it's oh it's real God. fucked up. That's yeah. so sad. Yeah, so like Yeah. If you were ever wondering like what what that what's up with DMX and dogs just go read that book and it'll be Aww. very very clear. Um Yeah. It's like so sad and so sweet, but he also does need to learn his limits with yeah. animal care. Oh yes. man! Yeah, he he clearly has like a broken way of expressing love to people. It, 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 we are not psychologists. <laughs> this no, is not, we're this not. Is not the like, diagnosed DMX podcast. I guess um, I get it. Like, I too would love to just be surrounded by dogs all day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, 2002, quiet year for him in terms of like music output or really anything, and. Um, mm-hmm. This movie, Cradle to the Grave, comes out at the very beginning of 2003, mm-hmm. in February. Um, and he'll he'll put out his fifth album uh, by the time... It, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in the next episode, and I believe mm-hmm. we'll also get to talk, finally talk about the JFK arrest. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah that's a notable one. Let's get into some plot. Yes, um, let's definitely do that. You guys talk about plot. I will sit here and not say anything at all. <laughs> okay. That Garth is... made like a really sassy outline, so um, <laughs> that's why this is going to sound super mean because I honestly fucking love this movie. So whatever. Um, <laughs> I did too. This is uh, this is definitely one of my favorite movies off of his filmography, and maybe one of my favorite movies in general. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> the way that Garth wrote this uh, outline was frankly insulting. yeah it was extremely rude okay so jumping into this uh plot summary um okay so dmx plays a man named i think his name is tony his name is tony because yeah tony is short for anthony yeah anthony tony (laughs) we start the movie by being introduced to dmx and his crew uh, basically, they are these really awesome uh, master thieves, and they are breaking into a diamond exchange. And we are also introduced to Jet Li. He plays a character named Sue, and uh, he's driving around in a convertible. And he like, it, like he, it's hard to explain. He get, enters somebody's apartment by like falling down the outside of it in like a really impressive way that I am not describing correctly. He basically Spider-Man's his way down the building and breaks in. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it was it was like strategic falling. Yes. Yes. It was into... very cool. Yes. Um and basically um the way that DMX and his crew are going to break into this diamond exchange is one of the members of his crew, Anthony Anderson, playing a uh, I don't know. I feel like this is a role that was just like built perfectly for Anthony Anderson. This is some great use of him. He has to uh, help distract the guard protecting the entrance of the diamond exchange so that the rest of the crew 
can't complete the robbery. They set up this really insane system where they use, like, like, really cold air or whatever to, like, freeze the lock, and then they basically, like, blow the door open. Um, yeah. They're doing all this while a party is going on, so I don't know how people don't hear it. Anthony Anderson basically uh, just, like, says, oh, it was an earthquake. And by the way, he's also pretending to be gay this whole time to flirt with the reveal-to-be-gay security guard. Um, it's a really interesting exchange. <laughs> um, we find out Very that- tasteful. Uh, we find out that the crew is looking for these very specific black diamonds, and uh, once they find them, they escape through the subway system uh, of L.A., the worst subway system of the country, in my opinion. Um, and basically, they split ways in the subway system. Jet Li meets one of the crew members, who I believe is Dragon, right? So we're describing who Jet Li steals from? Yes. Yeah, that's Dragon. Okay, cool. I gonna admit, I had no idea who this was the whole time. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but... <laughs> it's almost like the characters in this movie aren't distinguished in any way. And, so and I mean, I, didn't, I just don't know who Dragon is, is what I'm saying. I know that the character's name is Miles, but anyway. Uh... I didn't know any of that, so... <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, Jet Li meets up with Dragon slash Miles and robs him, thinking that he is stealing the Black Diamonds. Uh, DMX's crew meets up back at his house later, where it's revealed that he is a father to an eight-year-old girl. It is also revealed that he is a really great dad. He's super sweet. He stole her a purple diamond necklace. They do this little prayer. It's really cute. But then they also uh, meet up and they find out that they've lost all of the diamonds they stole. Um, the only ones they have left are the black diamonds. So basically at this point in the movie, the villain Ling shows up and he finds out that his like precious diamonds have been like stolen or whatever. Um, and then, you know, DMX like puts his daughter to bed because he cares about his daughter. And at a crew meeting downstairs, they're like, what's up with these diamonds? Um the you know the the like creepy whatever weird black ones and um so in order to find out what the deal is with the black diamonds they go to everyone's fa favorite crime man tom arnold um <laughs> who like wants to sell dmx a tank um but then dmx is like i don't want a tank just like show me like tell me what's up with these like weird diamonds uh they DMX goes to his contact's house, the guy that set up the uh, whole robbery. He finds out that he's dead, and surprise, Jet Li is there. Um, Jet Li says that he didn't kill him, but he thinks that uh, the bad guy, Ling, killed him. DMX and Jet Li fight. Ling calls the apartment and tries to get DMX to turn over the diamonds. Uh, DMX starts his long stretch of destroying every phone that he touches. <laughs> Uh, and by way of hanging up on people and um, then they and then he just leaves um, so basically what happens is DMX is driving away all of a sudden he gets in like a car chase slash fight he gets cornered in like an alley and then Jet Li shows up and gives DMX backup and they decide like via a head nod or something that they're gonna fight together the fight in the alleyway ensues and basically there's this thing where like they're kicking the two bad guys at the same time up against like these rabid dogs or something. It's very insane, but also pretty great. 
um, there's a moment where DMX literally runs up a wall. And that Solid. is amazing. Uh, I love the idea that this universe posits that DMX can do that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so DMX calls, I mean, sorry, Tom Monroe calls DMX, reveals that uh, he was held up and the diamonds were stolen. Um, DMX and Jet Li meet up with Tom Arnold, look at the footage, and DMX decides that it was probably this gangster named Jump Chambers. Uh, he then gets another phone call, and it turns out that Ling has kidnapped DMX's daughter. <gasps> Big mistake. Big mistake. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, Mm-mm. nope. Anyway, no, no. so DMX and Jet Li decide they're officially going to team up to save both these stones and DMX's daughter. So now that they're like buddies, um, we um, got a shot of the like villain headquarters, which is an airplane hangar. It's, you know, very villainy. <laughs> um, and then DMX and Jet Li go visit Chambers, um, who is like in fancy jail because he's like an important crime man. Yeah, he's um, in like a Goodfellas style jail situation where like he has yeah. his own giant room, he gets food delivered, and like the guards are really nice to him. Yeah, and he has like a butler and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very cool. Um, so yeah, they go visit him, and then he's basically just like, fuck you guys, uh, like, uh, you can go now. Um, and so then DMX and Jet Li decide to kind of like split up and do some sleuthing. Mm-hmm. So DMX goes to investigate uh, Jump Chambers' club, and Jet Li and Tom Arnold go after the robbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, what happens next is we see a scene where the daughter tries to escape. She's actually pretty crafty for an eight-year-old, and it turns out that the henchmen watching her are pretty dang dumb, because uh, she does almost <laughs> escape. And uh, then we start sort of, like, cutting back and forth between these two investigation scenes. First, we see Gabrielle Union uh, sort of, like, make her way into this club where she apparently used to work. It's revealed that she used to be some sort of sex worker in Jump Chambers's employ, And uh, he's also really mad at DMX for taking her out of that life. But basically, she kind of like flirts with the owner of the club and gets him back into his office as a distraction so that DMX can break into the office and look for the diamonds. Another distraction that happens is Anthony Anderson comes uh, dressed as a like bug guy and manages to make his way in and set off these bug bombs that sort of like create smoke and sort of clear out the area for at least an hour so that DMX and Dragon have uh, an empty space and they don't have to fight anybody to look around for the diamonds. Um, Basically, they don't find them and they set off like some sort of huge noise that alerts the club owner to them being there. He then sends all of his goons after them and uh, they call the cops and DMX gets arrested. Yeah. So, yeah, like, while this is happening in the movie, Tom Arnold and Jet Li go to this, like, underground MMA fight. Oh, so good. Um, sure. Oh. Uh, I guess, like, the robbers, like, no, we, again, you have your time. <laughs> um, so, I guess, like, the robbers are, like, maybe there because, like, chamber, I don't know. Um, and so, but they have to, like, get in. So, they have to say that Jet Li is, like, a fighter because that's the only way you can get into, like, an underground MMA match, I guess. Um. So they're, like, looking for the men or whatever, but um, then all of a sudden, Jet Li is called in to fight. 
Um, and he doesn't want to fight, but know, all of the like, other MM... No. Mm, no. But the, no. Okay. No. There's just, like, so much important MMA stuff happening. Okay. Is is there... I don't think there is. Yes! I think there's a lot... There... <gasps> no. No, I'm sorry. I like. It's just, like, the people like, that are fighting and the way they're fighting and the matchups are, like, important to me, but fine. The way... The way they're fighting... Continue. Whatever. Okay. Okay. Whatever. okay. I'll have my yeah. time. To, to be to be continued. I'll have you my time. You have your time. You have your time. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, they're like, Jet Li's like, doesn't want to fight all the MMA people, but then he like has to fight the MMA people. So he like fights them. Um, and then there's this like big guy, but then he like fights all of them. And he fights the big guy, and then he leaves, and it turns out that Tom Tom Arnold, like, found one of the robbers, and he's, like, in a limo, and Tom Arnold has, like, a stun gun, and he's like, good thing I found him. Um, <laughs> yes, he's like, uh, you know, it's a good thing I brought my stunner, and I guess they, yeah. the idea is they'd, like, steal the guy's limo and interrogate him. Uh, yeah, cool. And then meanwhile, back with DMX, he breaks out of police custody by stealing a random four-wheeler. It's like, it's so weird. These two like BMX bike guys show up with like a truck full of motorbikes and like four wheelers. So DMX steals one and this whole chase and starts and it's crazy. He's like going through downtown LA, like sort of like arts district LA and like on the four wheeler with police chasing him. Anthony Anderson and the rest of the crew are in like a Volvo or something chasing him. And then there's also the guys who he stole the four wheeler from. They both jumped on their bikes and decided they're going to chase him down, which is so insane. And they basically end up like driving through like a bunch of what looked to sort of honestly be sweatshops. And uh, the only reason DMX escapes is because he jumps the four wheeler through a window and across an alley to another building and then continues to do so until he gets to a previously agreed upon apparently a uh, parking lot where he is able to hide in Anthony Anderson's car and escape the police. Pretty amazing. Great escape. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, when DMX steals the quad, mm. isn't there like, doesn't one of the, the extreme guys literally yell out, that guy stole out my fucking quad or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's like, yes, I'm going to go get it back. Yeah, you know, he's literally like, that guy stole my fucking quad. <laughs> and I, the whole time I was kind of thinking, I was like, are these like secretly really important BMX people I don't know about? Like, is this like the all time like X Games winner or something? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, it's yeah. a really important thing I forgot to say also, though. Hmm. When, when TMX steals this four wheeler, the most amazing thing happens. His song, X Go and Give It To You, starts playing. <laughs> Honestly, like my favorite part of the movie. Well, it's yeah, so no, it's, it starts playing when he like is about to escape, and then he punches the cop, steals the yes. quad, and then drives <laughs> the quad over the police car. It's probably yeah. timed so like as soon as his fist meets the cop's face, it starts. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's honestly it's like it's incredible. Yeah, if I'm gonna punch I, a cop, yeah. I would prefer it if X Go and Give It To You was playing. <laughs> it yeah, was, it I was agree. pretty amazing. Um. But basically, so what happens next, we go to back to the prison where Ling has discovered Chambers. And basically what happens is he kills Chambers' butler with a, with a lobster claw to the neck. Pretty amazing. And Incredible. then he also interrogates Chambers about what's been going on and meeting with DMX. And then he also kills Chambers before he leaves. 
and he finds out basically where the diamonds have been hidden the whole time. It turns out they were in the club, of course. <laughs> like, I, all yeah. of DMX's crew has been past this little pond where they were hidden. Nobody else found them. Um, and basically, It's like this movie has a weird habit of just, like, returning to the same location multiple times because of some really dumb contrivance. Mm. I wonder mm. what it could be, Garth. Budget. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's probably budget. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, so, uh, what happens is they, DMX and, uh, Jet Li go back to the club looking for the diamonds. They're not there, but they do find one diamond and this leads them to believe that Ling has found them. And then we cut to the airport hangar where Ling and his crew are running all these kind of weird tests on the stones. Um, the daughter is able to break free of her constraints and she finds like an emergency cell phone in this pl- uh, this camper where she's being held and she calls DMX. Hashtag van life. <laughs> Sorry, I like completely derailed that. Um... Nice. Yes, Thank hashtag you. van life. Honestly, like where she was being held was really nice. There was a bed and a TV. There was a fridge. It looked really nice. It's like the nicest kidnapping situation ever. She's being really well taken care of by these idiots. Do you think that uh, they yeah. had multiple car batteries in that hangar to like switch it out when the daughter inevitably runs out all the juice on those batteries because she's running a refrigerator and a TV in a van for like days on end? I mean, they have some sort of insane power source because whatever it is that, like, they use, like, the weird laser they point at the diamonds, that means a lot of power, I'm sure. We will be getting into lasers uh, later in the episode. <laughs> yes, yes. laser Much like is Scott, uh, soon. Butler's MMA corner, we will have Sanchez's <laughs> laser corner. Yes. <laughs> Sanchez, yes. our laser expert. I am certified in lasers. I, this, to be continued. Yeah, I did not know that awesome. about... Okay, we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Sanchez, I feel like this is really your section though, because we start talking about lasers and the the science of the black stones. So please. Um, okay. I would love to. Um, so basically she gives them like three clues that they need to figure out where she is, um, which is extremely helpful. And I I just do have to say, there's this one part where she's like, it looks like a laser show or like a light show. And the Jet Li is just like, it's the laser. (laughs) It's like, okay. Listen, these are really intelligent people that somehow have access to police credentials so that they can hack into whatever system tracks all of the inbound and outbound flights. Oh, yeah. So, I'll just, I'm going to call the aviation. I've got a guy at the aviation administration. Yeah. Listen, they've got a lot of connections. They're master thieves. You guys have also, like, conveniently glossed over the fact that there are, like, multiple times in this movie where someone just goes, like, I just know it. Hey, hey, this is our section. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> is our right. section. You're not allowed to talk. You just, you said you didn't um, want to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so basically we have, they, ha- they have, a, I gave you all the clues. Um, she, <laughs> she gave them all the clues. And <laughs> Yeah, guys is laughing. You know what that is. Um, so, and then Gently is... Sorry, it's just so stupid. Um, so Gently is like, the stones are actually a new kind of portable plutonium. They're pitching the diamonds to a bunch of uh, arms dealers. I guess, like, the world's foremost arms dealers have all flown in on their private helicopters to L.A. to buy diamond-shaped plutonium um all right so long story short tom arnold and anthony anderson just like show up with the tank and 
<laughs> everyone punches and they kick and they, you know, do the thing with the tank. Um, and then Jet Li and Ling fight in this like ring of fire. And then Jet Li oh, like, yes. like puts like a like one of the stones in his mouth, and then he like melts. Um, yep. Very like you know like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It just like kind of like melts him. Yeah, um, so the power of two Hiroshima's in his throat. Uh, more than that, the power of yeah, New World right. Order. Yeah, and somehow he just melts. And he melts. Uh, very intriguing. And uh, what else is happening during this fight? Let's see. DMX manages to rescue his daughter. Thank goodness from the idiot kidnappers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Gabrielle Union gets a fight moment. Uh, she does a little bit of fight choreography. She uses her suede trench coat as a lasso, and she fights Kelly Hu. I love that she takes the fight over from Jet Li, of all people. Like, Jet Li couldn't handle Kelly Hu, who was throwing some pretty weak moves, to be honest. It's sort of disappointing, because Kelly Hu is actually a good fighter. Um, but, yeah, so, they, I mean, they beat the bad guys. All of the arms dealers escape, <laughs> so there's <laughs> there's no backlash to them. Uh, and then the cops show up, and basically what happens is DMX is prepared to go to jail, and Jet Li says, you know what, I might try to pull some strings and get you out of it. And they walk off into the, not the sunset, but you know, they walk off together. And then uh, we end with Tom Arnold and Anthony Anderson riffing over the credits again. Great way to end it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, last time. Yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> All right, Garth, now you can talk again. Yay. Yay. I could talk on my own podcast again. <laughs> you put yourself in that corner. Well, I mean, you guys very conveniently left out a lot of uh, bullshit in the plot, but... I think we did a pretty good job of summing it up. I think so, too. I happen to notice that you left out the part where Jet Li uses the little person as a weapon against all the MMA fighters. Well, if somebody had let me speak during the mma section yeah oh my god garth like what are you doing you're just like letting more mma content in oh you're right yeah, sorry come on. Uh, come on i'll have sorry. my time you have you have a segment fine <laughs> yeah well, instead let's talk about m <laughs> oh let's god. talk about the Lang movie from oh the my... 30s <laughs> yeah so uh, sure. I read in the IMDb trivia and a bunch of like other reviews that I read in preparation for this discussion uh-huh. that this originally started as a remake of the 1931 Fritz Lang film M. Um, I just I just don't believe you. You don't have to believe me. This is just these are these are facts. I just, these are I don't known. I don't believe this is real. A, a random person on IMDb wrote this trivia, and yeah, the Roger Ebert brought it up in the review. The internet doesn't lie. It never lied once. Yeah. Now, um, so for those of you who have not seen M, um, a, a basic kind of oversimplified summary of it: uh, there's a serial killer in Berlin uh, who's targeting children. And the police hunt for the killer is, like, kind of so disruptive of the criminal underworld that all the criminals in the city decide that, like, they're going to hunt the killers. Or, they're, like, they're going to hunt the serial killer themselves. And so the criminals in the city capture the serial killer, who's played by Peter Laurie. And it, bad stuff happens. And, uh, yeah. And, like, M is a lot of things. It's, like, kind of credited for creating the serial killer movie and like you know it's also kind of like a proto police procedural and it's this kind of really 
a subtle critique of kind of German culture and like the rise of the Nazi party and the systems in place that allowed that rise to happen in the first place. And uh, it's a great movie, as all three of us can agree. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I have no fucking clue how this became Cradle to the Grave. I mean, I can buy how some sort of like M remake eventually through a bunch of studio notes and multiple writer changes devolved. Like not to like, not to badmouth Cradle to the Grave, but you're right. The two movies have nothing in common for the most part other than like harm befalls like harm to children and i suppose you could say it is a criminal element taking on a worse criminal element for the greater good but that's like that's those are all the ties you get and i mean we've seen this happen before yeah i would have loved to have been like in the meeting where that happened oh yeah I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was actually, like, multiple meetings and so on and so forth, but, yeah. like, in my head canon, I like to believe that, like, there was, like, a bunch of studio executives in a boardroom <laughs> with, with, like, Bart Kowiak and, like, the producers and whatever. And, like, and, like the studio people was like, let's put a rapper in it! <laughs> and, and just, like, you know, doing, like, the whole, like, someone may have brought up, like, a giant metal spider. Fair. You know, like, 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 one of those kinds of meetings. Uh, most likely, right? Like... <laughs> What if they were diamonds, but it was also plutonium? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, like the studio executive's like, this movie's, you know, this M movie, it's not hip with the kids. We need to throw in DMX and maybe some kung fu and some, <laughs> we're going to have Gabrielle Union dance on this guy and we're not going to tell her about it. And uh, Yeah. Really? Eminem and Papa Roach. Or, no, not Papa Roach. Papa Roach is not involved in this film. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Circling back, if you will, in email speak to this movie that we're talking about. Um, so how do we feel about this movie kind of in general, aside from this mm-hmm. whole like M. Fritz Lang situation that I don't want to talk about anymore? Well, I mean, I can say that I'm a, a big fan of this movie. I feel like it's a really strong ending to what I will call the Bartkoviak trilogy. Um you know, he made three movies that I felt like really reflected a era pretty well in that they were sort of like hip hop martial arts focused movies um, where more musical talent got a chance to shine in the acting realm. And also they helped sort of like introduce a lot of people that are still around now. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. And, you know, I love Joel Silver and pretty much anything he produces, so... The fact that he has touched these movies is a blessing. Garth is giving me a look. Garth? I think uh, he wishes to speak. How, yeah. <laughs> how did you feel about these movies? Um, I'm, I'm not a fan. Okay, well, let, let's start with Cradle to the Grave. All right. Um, I think, so when, when we first watched this movie, mm-hmm. I thought it was, like, very funny and entertaining and, you know, I liked it on a, you know, kind of an irony level. Mm-hmm. Um, but after seeing Romeo Must Die and Exit Wounds, mm-hmm. you know, setting aside the Steve- Steven Seagal-sized pile of shit <laughs> in the room, yeah. um, I can't help but think of Cradle to the Grave as kind of less than. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I, I feel that, like, 
you know, Romeo Must Die is a flawed movie, but it's, you know, it's trying to address culture, class, and mm-hmm. race, and, you know, issues that it is nowhere near equipped to handle, but mm-hmm. it's, it's at least about something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Exit Wounds has this angle that's about, like, tech money and, you know, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not not a stance that anyone should agree with, but, uh, you know, again, it's trying to say something. And I feel like Cradle to the Grave is just kind of, I don't know, plutonium is bad. <laughs> don't kidnap kids. In a way, I do wonder if it's, like, if maybe it's trying for a more international angle in its... Uh criminal element but i agree with you that it it's maybe not trying as hard as the other two to have a specific angle one last thing i did want to say that i appreciated about this movie is i like and this might be a little weird but i do like the idea that dmx and his gang aren't just portraying like a gang of stick-up criminals they're not just like holding up a bank or something they're like master thieves that like have access to and mastery of pretty complicated technology and they have a lot of connections and they're really organized and it's kind of nice to see black people run a really organized high profile syndicate and also be yeah, good I mean, parents. Did you see DMX's house? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he does always have an amazing house. <laughs> um, but I just mean like they seem like intelligent criminals. They're not just brute force criminals yeah no. they are also well-trained fighters i no, i agree i mean i do think you you do make a really good point there where like i feel like especially with height like I, I, I this is obviously not a heist movie but movies about heists usually include mm-hmm. like a white male protagonist who's like the ringleader mm-hmm. and then you know like a diverse group of people who are like following in this man's lead and you know it was mm-hmm. kind of nice to see like a yeah, like a, you know, person of color, like a black, you know, group of, um, like, sophisticated heist people instead of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just like a white male protagonist running the show. Yeah, and then more often or not, it feels like even if there is a black person in the group, they end up being, like, the muscle and, like, the person yeah. from the streets yeah. with the street knowledge. Or, like, a British demolition man. <laughs> or is there, like, Terry Crews? <laughs> Who just plays Terry Crews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, one note. Um, so, yeah, it, it was nice to see kind of, like, a full full game of people, you know? Yeah, I felt like they had all angles covered. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think Romeo Must Die is the only one of the three that I, like, legit liked. Um mm-hmm. I kind of agree that I feel I felt like this one was just kind of like I, I don't know I feel like the ter- like the use of like plutonium is extremely <laughs> lazy. I yeah like I yeah it's just yeah I feel like it was like just a supercut of just action movie things that kind of got like mushed together to make this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of just like a lack of identity to this movie in general. I feel yeah because yeah you know, like the other two movies have these like really kind of at least you semi-unique locations and like they're about these topics and cradle to the grave is basically just an action movie in la downtown la is not a unique location Garth. (laughs) no it is not (laughs) yeah i mean another thing like i guess that kind of bleeds into the like um belly a little bit too but like 
you know, this idea of kind of like a hip hop action movie. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. How do we how, how do we feel about this like little point in time where that happened? I mean, I think it's really interesting and I think I like it because it feels like soon after this, we move into a point in time where all action movies are set to like dubstep and evanescence and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I guess it goes more evanescence and then dubstep. Uh-huh. So I guess like Underworld. I- Huh? Yeah, it's like, like Underworld. Yeah, it feels like right after this, we hit Underworld and everything mm. is set to like some sort of like electronic music. Mm which to me gets much more repetitive than a fight scene set to whatever like the cool rap song at the time is and is a little less accessible for me. So I have a lot of nostalgia for this time period. Well, I I feel like um, the electronic stuff was happening at the same time as this. Yeah, it is very Matrixy, I guess, huh? It's like the Matrix and like, I think like, wasn't Resident Evil out at this point? It oh, must have I been know, at this point. Probably. Yeah, I think so. Around Is Underworld out around this time also then? I think so. no. I think I've never seen Underworld. What? No. I mean, like un- Underworld is like m- like that whole franchise has made like zero impression. Like I watch trailers for them and just like wow, this looks like <laughs> absolutely nothing. The first one is the best one by far. The first one's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like metal vampire. <laughs> what I, I don't know. And um, werewolves. It's like Twilight. Mm-hmm. It's early Twilight. Oh, is it like Twilight? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but what about the Venom? Do these um, vampires also have venom? You know, I honestly, I don't remember a ton of, I like, I don't think I've actually watched Underworld since I was like maybe in ninth grade, but so I don't know how much venom is actually incorporated into the story, <laughs> but I, there is not a zero amount of venom in the story. There is like a surprising amount of blood science in the story, honestly. <laughs> like, well, vampire, of- I mean, you gotta, you gotta get into the blood science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... But back to back to Cradle to the Grave. Like I was saying, I have so much nostalgia for this time period because I think very quickly it became an unappreciated or even like forgotten kind of combo of martial arts and hip hop culture. Like it yeah. very quickly got overshadowed by like the dubstep or like the electronic music. And now even like TV and movies, they even start making jokes about it. Like I was watching, I was watching Deadpool 2 the other day. Nice. And they even have like a shout out saying like, okay, now we're going to do the fight sequence. So cue the dubstep. Mm, so yeah. that's what people think of now. Like nobody thinks like we should set a fight scene to like actually and give it to you or something. Right. It's, well, it's I, I think that's what they were thinking in like the late 2000s to early 2010s. Mm. Because like, I, I think like what action movies are now is like Marvel. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I think people are expecting less of that kind of stylized uh, fight choreography and, you know, more just like, we're going to watch these super beings punch each other and there's going to be mm-hmm. an orchestra behind it. Yeah. 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 Um, well, like, Joel Silver doesn't make another one of these movies, like, again, right? Like, it's just this little... Yeah, like, time. like a- after this, he's kind of gone from the hip-hop action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it, you know, like it, it was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I, honestly, like, the thing that I take away from is that from like the whole hip hop action movie thing of the early two thousands, late nineties, is that like I just wish the movies were better. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because like like there are like some like I don't know if this really counts as an action movie, but there's a movie I really like called King of New York, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like that's kind of a it, it's not like a kung fu movie. It's at like all. a hip hop crime movie, I guess you could say though. 
yeah, like there is hip hop and there is crime, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's really more of like a kind of indie action movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part where they're doing like a money exchange, like you know, like exchanging briefcases, like drugs and whatever. Right. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne gives the guy his briefcase, and the guy opens <laughs> it, and it's filled with tampons. Nice. And then uh, the guy's like, "What is this?" And then Lawrence Fishburne goes, it's for the bullet holes, puto. And then he pulls out two pistols and like shoots him like 80 times. That's incredible. King of New York is a great fucking movie. Everyone should go watch it right now. So um, good. I feel like cheesy but amazing lines like that don't, it feels like they're not as appreciated anymore. Like there's literally a line in this movie where DMX says X marks the spot. And something <laughs> like that is so perfect for me. Like I love that it's, yeah. it's just dumb enough. And it's also kind of meta because it's like, he's DMX. Yeah. My personal favorite line in this movie is when DMX says, I quote, I thought Chinese people were all mystical and shit. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, Yeah, that... (laughs) I will say that the real low point of this movie is there are a lot of incorrect statements made about Asian culture and even worse, there are a lot of Asian slurs thrown around. Uh... Well, I mean, like, a lot of those slurs were thrown around by, like, a character who was meant to be, like, a villain. Not that it makes it, like, any better, but, like... Yeah, but, like, Tom Arnold calls him a Chinaman at one point, and it makes me cringe so hard. And, like, you're supposed to like Tom Arnold. Yeah, and then Anthony Anderson says a bunch of racist stuff about, like, foreigners and their bugs, so... It's not great. Okay. Uh, alright, guys, so... I have an interesting question. Uh, do you think this is the most early 2000s movie we've seen so far? I think it's definitely Romeo Must Die for me. <laughs> uh, I think Romeo Must Die for me is a little more late 90s than early 2000s. But they have the tiny glasses. They do have the tiny glasses. There were way more tiny glasses in Romeo Must Die than in Cradle to the Grave. There were more Honest, tiny I think glasses. I, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think, like, all of Aaliyah's clothes are, like, way more early 2000s than late 90s. May I submit that Cradle to the Grave has both Eminem and the song Click Click Boom in it. By, um... (laughs) By Kid Rock. By Kid Rock, yeah. Stop it. (laughs) So, I totally agree with Garth that the music is definitely the most early 2000s. I think I agree with Sanchez that the style... Romeo Must Die was more early 2000s style-wise. Like, Aaliyah, all of her clothes, the store, yeah. all the tiny glasses, uh, everything that uh, Isaiah Washington wears. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some great early 2000s stuff here, too. Like, the villain, Lang, he wears some pretty amazing all-leather suits. That is true. Yeah, and the other thing that stood out as very early 2000s to me, and I, this is a little bit of late 90s as well, but I feel like the kind of X Games slash, like, extreme sports culture was kind of at its peak in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. That's true. So with, like, the dirt bikes and the quad. Yeah. And, like, I'm surprised there wasn't, like, someone skateboarding. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, that was extreme. Drinking Mountain Dew and eating corn nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, what was it? That guy's got my fucking quad. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm surprised that there wasn't some sort of, like, I don't know, like skate rink behind the octagon where the fight was happening or something. Like it felt like a really early two thousands thing to have like a bunch of like those 
popular things happening all at the same time in the same space, like concert plus fight plus, you know, I don't know, skateboard ramp. Right. And I, again, I refuse to talk about MMA seriously, um, but <laughs> oh. is MMA early 2000s? I feel like it is. That's when it started to get popular and started yeah. to come out of the, uh, what you would call more underground element. Good. Okay. I, that was, I think, more than enough MMA content for me. Thank you. But, I mean, I have more about how, like, it used to be, like, a sideshow, and now we have a section for it. We have a section for this. <sighs> Soon. Once again, we have a section for this. <laughs> Counting the minutes. I will have my time. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, we need to talk about the best scene in this movie, though. <laughs> Um, I guess we already kind of talked about XCOM Give It To You, but I think we should just briefly talk about it again how great it is because Yeah. Yeah, no, it was like by far the best part of this movie. Um just the punch, the stealing, <laughs> the song, the ch- the chase, all of it was just like so perfectly put together. And I think, yeah, like I I thought this movie was like kind of like fine but kind of boring, but this was like by far the best part of this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, this chase scene is great, enough to the point that I was like, this would actually be perfect as the music video for this. Like, if it was, like, that scene mixed with, like, I don't know, DMX in a club or something, like, you know, moments of, like, the actual music video mixed with this scene would be perfection. Yeah. Well, I wrote in my notes that, like, the Rough Riders anthem was just, like, DMX driving around on a quad. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, So we know that DMX knows all about quads. (laughs) that's what this scene tells us um and i thought it was really interesting that they actually chose this song instead of garth you said he had released a new album sort of right before this movie came out and they didn't choose any of the music from that album i think right uh no i don't think they did yeah so Um, i think it's interesting they chose this song over uh, any newly released music by him it speaks to like its lasting power and how popular it is yeah, well, I mean, to me, that says, like, we're still very much in, like, the soundtrack era of Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And, like, Cradle to the... I mean, the X Gonna Give It To You was was made for the soundtrack of this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, like, the thing that, st- that struck me, much like how DMX struck that cop, <laughs> is uh, just, like, how cathartic do you think it was for DMX to punch that cop? Oh, <laughs> so good. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm sure he was over the moon. Yeah, and especially in like a year like 2020, it's particularly great to watch DMX punch a cop and then drive a fucking heavy ass bike over his car. Yeah. All right, so let, let, let's get into these corners. Uh, Sanchez, lasers. Oh my god. Okay. So once again, I I'm an expert in lasers. I am laser certified. Amazing. And <laughs> what does that mean? When did that happen? And why? <laughs> Okay, really do you really want to know? It's like okay, so I'll tell yes. you. It's like when I was working at Georgetown's makerspace, um, I had to take a class on how to like safely interact with lasers because I um operated the laser cutter oh. in the makerspace. So I had oh. to take a whole class on it. I had to look at a bunch of burns. Um the man was who taught the class was very adamant that we never go to any discount laser hair removal places. And literally had like laminated photos <laughs> of horrible burns that people had gotten from discount laser hair removal places in the DMV. So I, oh wow, yeah, but yeah, no, I like I actually I had to take a course on like laser safety, um, in order to like operate this machine, um, that I guess technically had a laser, 
And um, so because of that, I am an expert in lasers and I am laser certified, which is certainly a thing that they call it. Um, But yeah, I just like want to make it abundantly clear to people that like if there was a high powered laser machine, they wouldn't have just like a piece of glass over the part where the laser is being refracted by mirrors and going into a thing like that is not how it's like the opposite of how lasers work. Like if it okay, if the laser was that high powered, you literally wouldn't be able to look at it. Like with like at all. Not even and with their super stylish like, goggles? No, because they're like <laughs> messing around with it before they turn like put the goggles on. And also when you look at the goggles, they're like the goggles from Spy Kids or something. They're like not safety goggles. <laughs> and like the even most if you had safe- goggles. Yeah, like if you had safety goggles, even if you had safety goggles on, you would never have just like an open air like like a clear thing to look into the laser because your eyes would melt. Like that's not how lasers work. But how would you see the power of two Hiroshima's then? That's true. Or the power of a new world order. You would, I mean, you wouldn't be able to look at it. Like a laser show. Like the lasers are coming out. Like that's literally the opposite of how laser safety works. Like if you can see the laser and it's that high powered, you're going to go blind. Wow. I was going to ask, is it a good idea to point a laser at some, say, plutonium? (laughs) You know, I'm not a plutonium expert, but I'm pretty sure pointing a laser at plutonium would like i don't know i guess it would depend on the laser right but like i again i mean this whole thing is like deeply flawed i would not recommend pointing a laser at plutonium though but what if you break it into a shard of plutonium instead of the whole diamond okay well here's the thing too right where it's like i don't want this to hold to just be a nitpick on how like like nuclear weapons work because i'm more concerned about laser safety but (laughs) like like if it like i don't like they were because there's this one part right where they're like we're gonna do the test and he's like no i'm calibrating and it's like so like what are we measuring here when we're looking at the laser right like the laser they're like there's a point where they're like and now the laser's at like whatever whatever and it's like so is the laser like making a reaction within the plutonium to make it like I just, like, there is, like, no logical reason why they would, like, blast a laser at plutonium, you know? It just, like, doesn't really make sense. And I I don't like, like, things that are about, like, whether or not things make sense that are like this because I don't, like, it's, like, this movie is, like, clear. not the point of this movie is whether or not the plutonium should be lasered or not, but, like, the whole, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, um, Sanchez's laser corner has been concluded. Thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate the explanation. Say any more about the lasers? <laughs> well, yeah, and we we we've put it off long enough. Yeah. Is it time? Uh, it's your time. It's my it time. time. Yes. Welcome I, to go. Butler's MMA Corner, or should I say, M- Butler's Octagon? God damn it! What? <laughs> you the know octagon. What? Yes, that's what you fight in—an octagon. You know what? Oh. Whatever. I'm excited about this. Um, I just wanted I'm to... Go. I'm so glad I get this time to freak out. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the first two people that were fighting when we get to the uh, underground cage fight scene were none other than Tito Ortiz and the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. Now, important facts here. Tito Ortiz and Iceman, Chuck Liddell, have fought twice professionally before. And it is really interesting to me that first they're pulling some really weak moves, but also I can't believe that Chuck Liddell agreed to lose to Tito Ortiz on camera because T- 
uh, Chuck Liddell actually beat Tito Ortiz in both fights in real life. He has never actually lost to Tito Ortiz. Amazing. Amazing. Also, um, some really interesting things, to me at least, I guess, <laughs> whatever. The big guy who comes in to fight Jet Li is none other than Randy the Natural Couture. Oh my gosh, one of my like super early UFC crushes. He is amazing. And it's amazing. So Chuck Liddell has actually fought Randy Couture twice. And Randy Couture goes on to star in The Expendables with Jet Li. Oh my gosh. So this is a big deal because Randy Couture got the honor of fighting Jet Li and then he gets to be in movies with him later. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> um, okay, well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And then I was just going to say like Tito Ortiz gets to fight Jet Li and it sucks that Chuck Liddell doesn't get a chance to fight Jet Li. And I don't know. I guess that's it. Did the human spider get to fight Jet Li? I think you're, are you referencing Anderson Silva, who is actually the spider? Wait, the, it, uh, I was actually <laughs> referencing um, Tobey Maguire from the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> you know when he like he goes to fight an MMA and he, they're like, what's your name? And he's like, the human spider. That was a wrestling match. No, they're in an octagon. No, they're yes. in a cage match. There's difference. What? There's wow. a difference. They're in a they're in a professional wrestling cage match, and what we are what we watched was mixed martial arts fighting in an octagon. Is it isn't it the same thing? No. What do you, what do you mean? One of them is staged, and one is real fighting that you train I'm for. Kick back. You know, maybe you guys didn't get it because they weren't pulling any like real like, official, cool UFC moves or anything. Like, they were really telegraphing their moves and pulling a lot of weak punches and kicks, and, like, nobody was fighting to their real strength or anything. And then, like, the big group fight is just a bunch of stunt guys. Wild. Crazy. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot about something I didn't know anything about. Yeah. Is your life better? No. You know Sorry. what? I thank you Sorry wholeheartedly for all of your laser info. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. It made me laugh. Anyway, uh, I guess that's my time. Thank you for joining Chelsea's MMA octagon corner, whatever. Continue. Hopefully it never comes back. Um... You know what? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, with this movie, we've hit a grave milestone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is the fact that there is no topless women dancing in clubs. True. DMX doesn't even own a club in this one. Thank yeah. goodness. That's a rare thing for him. Uh, uh, ben? Oh. Is that you? Hello. <gasps> Mr. Shapiro. You're back. Happy to be here, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. But ben, what do you think about the fact that there's no topless women in... Um, I Cradle to the Grave. I love that there aren't any topless women in this movie. <laughs> it just makes it that much more wholesome. <laughs> you think this is a wholesome movie? You know, I don't. I think it's very crime-ridden. I think there are rappers in it. And there's a lot not to like here, but at least there's no boobies. Be well, but what about Gabrielle Union's lap dance? You can't see it. I know because I rewound it multiple times to check. And I never once saw her boobs. 
good point. They're very Thank careful you. about not showing her boobs. Thank you. I, I, ben, I have a question on a personal level. What? Yeah. How can I help you, sir? <laughs> uh, how do you feel about Biden winning? Um, excuse me. Excuse me. The votes aren't done. Oh. Okay. There is still more to count. Are there? Yes. Are they going to are they going to help Trump win really though? Yes. We have absentee ballots still. <laughs> we have dead people who are on the voting rolls. Like we got to just figure this out, all right? It's not over yet, Mr. Ginsburg. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Mr. Shapiro. <laughs> Anytime, Trump 2024. No. Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's, that was pretty crazy, you guys, that Ben Shapiro keeps showing up. And I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, yeah, I, I wish he wouldn't openly advocate for Trump on our podcast, but... Yeah, that would be cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not very respectful of our I, views. I, I guess it's good that he's at least, you know, happy with the lack of boobs and cradle to the grave. He did enjoy that, yes. Yeah. yeah. Always yeah. helpful. It's, it's too bad he didn't like the rappers. That's true. Well, he's, you know, racist, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Segments. Uh, Okay. Yes. Uh, It's my time to shine again. I should just use my nitpick corner to just talk about MMA some more. Oh, my God. (laughs) Maybe next time. We can talk (laughs) talk about some more classic Chuck Liddell fights. There's more. I promise. He's a really good fighter. Um, anyway, he's retired now. Uh, <laughs> I, so I do actually have some nitpicks for the nitpick corner. Not a lot because I, I truly do really like this movie. Um, anyway, so nitpicks. There is a big one, uh, which actually Garth and I apparently agree upon. And it's about how just watching this movie, it felt like it was filmed in like a what, like maybe one or two to be generous, like block radius of LA, specifically downtown LA. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like this entire movie is shot near the LA River in downtown. Yep. In like the same like one or two block radius, because like you can see the same mm-hmm. bridges like over and over and over again in the background. Yeah. I think like they spent probably like 90% of the movie in this one location and then they probably went out, you know, to Malibu or something or to the LAX area to do like those quick shots that you see the beach and then you have to, you know, move to the airport hangar. So two days there to get Jet Li spider monkeying down the side of a building with the ocean in the background and then all the stuff at the hangar and then the rest of the time you're just downtown LA. Right near China. Yeah, that was probably Santa Monica. And then, like, I think the opening jewelry heist was probably somewhere on Wilshire. It looked downtown. Probably closer to downtown. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then the rest of this movie is like, we shot all of this in a one block radius. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next nitpick Um, Gabrielle Union's red underwear in her lap dance is ugly. It's it awful. is, and it doesn't match her bra. It doesn't. It doesn't was, make sense. I was like so offended and upset for her. It's like bad enough that they surprise you with this lap dance scene, but then they put you in the ugliest red underwear ever that doesn't even fit well. Awful. Yeah. That bra no. didn't fit well. The bra it was looks better. like it looks. The bra was better, but it all looks like Forever Twenty One underwear. It's so, like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, some real low quality like faux nylon lace bargain basement yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, not good. <laughs> no, really not good. Not at her level because her outfit was pretty cool. And I know every time I watch this movie, I expect she's gonna move that amazing leather skirt. And it's going to be some great underwear. It's not. Yeah. It's, and you're it's, like you said, it doesn't even match the bra. It's not even the same color red. Yeah. It, no, it absolutely doesn't make sense. Black would have been much better or like, you know, uh, there's some pink in there and the flowers. Something like that would yeah. have been nice. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. It's so disappointing. They did her wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm disappointed we never find out where the name of the movie comes from. Where, where do we get mm. Cradle to the Grave from? I mean, Romeo Must Die was pretty easy. Isaiah Washington tells us, Romeo, uh, you gotta die. Does we M also- stand for Cradle to the Grave? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> to be fair, I guess we don't hear anybody say anything about exit wounds, but like, still. I feel like exit yeah. wounds is pretty self-explained because like people get shot and yeah. then the wounds come out. It's, right? it's generic enough, but like Cradle to the Grave something it feels specific but i don't know to what yeah yeah uh, uh there's a cradle robbing you know she's a daughter's pretty young but isn't then cradle robbing cradle? implying in, in, something else doesn't isn't cradle yeah. robbing when you date somebody really young <laughs> what no um <laughs> no i, I mean I, I don't know kid gets kidnapped the kid might die i guess so i yeah, yeah i mean i'm, I'm there's there is no explanation, yeah. but, like, yeah. that's the closest I can come up with. Uh, and my last one is, I don't really see a DMX as a Tony, you know? It doesn't, I, don't I feel agree. like. I agree. He's not a Tony, right? Tony is a weird name for him. Yeah. It doesn't fit him. Tommy, I can buy, I think mm. he should have just gone by Anthony. Like, they reveal, they reveal that Tony is short for Anthony. His name is Anthony Fate. He feels like an Anthony to me. Not a Tony. Yeah. Definitely not a Tony. Yeah. I feel like the bigger nitpick there for me is the fact that his last name is Fate. Meh. Like F like F A I T. That's pretty bad. Well, especially at the end of the movie where they all go Faith. Faith. Yeah. Faith. <laughs> well, it makes it seem like a like like an exercise in ego as opposed to like the saying that they all say together. It's yeah. like we just did this successful crime, now let's all say my name. They're at not me. saying his name. I think if you're gonna nitpick his name, I think it's like his name is more like fate, F-A-T-E, as in like, oh god, what is my fate? It's my fate to go to jail to protect my daughter. But they're saying faith as in like what felt like a really surface level play for like the black religious audience, honestly. <laughs> you, you think that was the motivation? For I mean, kinda, yeah. Like they have to, That's they have to it. figure I, out a way to weave some sort of like faith-based thing into the story. So they've got the fact that they have her sp- say that special prayer before bed, and it's a thing that like they say together. And then also they all say faith as like that's their like oh let's get psyched word. We should watch Best Man Holiday. We should. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was Butler's nitpick corner. Thank you so much. That that, that was a good corner. Thank you. It, very nitpicky very good <laughs> by nitpick. the standards of the nitpick corner yeah. that has been set up so far. <laughs> well, that's the end of uh, my corner. I have a question for you guys. One of our usual questions. Was uh-huh. DMX good in this movie? I think he was as good as the director allowed him to be. Hmm. Um, because like one, one thing that kind of occurred to me, um, 
in, in watching that first scene with his daughter, mm-hmm. is there another, like, hardcore gangster rapper slash actor who could have pulled that scene off other than DMX? Not that I can think of. I yeah. I don't want to step on your toes, but I, I want to say that, like, the stuff with the daughter especially leads me to think that this is probably the best acting we've seen from DMX so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Like, like what I'm saying is that, like, I think like that scene is kind of the appeal of DMX as an actor is that he, you know, because his persona has like a lot of sincerity in it, mm-hmm. and it's, in it, you know, there's not like a lot of like posturing in the way that like later like a Fifty Cent would do. Like, it, it's not like, uh, he, he's not like a character. He's like, I am an incredibly flawed person who is putting all their stuff out there. Like, yes, I have all these kids and I've done all this stuff, and I am acknowledging this. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I think, like, because he has that element, like, that's why that scene works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I, I think that, like, I can't imagine, like, another rapper actor being able to pull that scene off. Uh, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he has lots of kids. Like, like he knows how to talk to kids. And he doesn't, like, hide the fact that he, you know, has a soft side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like, I do think, DM, like, I don't think he's great in the facial expression department. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's more him not being directed well. Mm-hmm. Cuz you know, like the director's watching the monitor, you, you know, like do something with your face, TMX. <laughs> yeah. But like but we've seen him be like expressive before, which is why like I'm not inclined to think that's like DMX's fault. Mhm. Like, he's very expressive in Belly. Um, but, like, I'm reading his face in here, and, like, I'm not really seeing anything, but, like, he is delivering it with the voice. It, like, it, it's kind of a weird disconnect, but, like, yes, I do think DMX is very good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think he's good in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like his personality in this movie, or, like, his character is basically just, like, dad who must find child. Um, mm-hmm. Which I generally, generally speaking, I don't, really enjoy watching in movies but like i thought dmx did a good job with this ah this movie's very early taken for you yes yes mm. i would say that yeah interesting <laughs> okay cool <laughs> um do we think dmx is the best part of this movie yes yeah i, I mean if nothing else for the x gonna give it to you see like <laughs> yeah, th- yeah there's that and like I do not like how Jet Li was used in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I mentioned in the Romeo Must Die episode that, like, I had this perception of Jet Li as this, like, very stoic, kind of humorless actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I realized watching this again that, like, I think this movie is why I thought that. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, Jet Li, like, he he doesn't really talk a whole lot, and, like, he, he doesn't get, get any moments to be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mostly there just to, like, beat the fuck out of people and brood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas DMX, you know, he's allowed to get angry, and he's allowed to be soft with his daughter, and he can make the occasional joke, even if none of them are good, mm-hmm. and, you know, um... So, yeah, like, as far as, like, actors are concerned, I think he is the best part of this movie, yeah. I would agree as well. I think that, especially when we're talking, comparing, um, the fighting, he actually, I think, got a lot of the really good action scenes. Like, he's got the whole car chase where he's on the four-wheeler. 
his fighting in the alleyway might even be a little more, at least like the stunts he had to pull were a little more impressive than what Jet Li had to do, which was basically look like he could beat people with like no hands. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there like IMDb trivia that like Jet Li only fights with one hand in this movie? Yes, I did oh. see that. He only uses, I want to say it was his left hand or something like that, but he does fight with like a, a lot of ease. I think basically to show like, he is so good that he doesn't have to try. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so He's I'm... like the hipster of Kung Fu. <laughs> I mean, he does wear that choker. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we know that we have that X going to give it to you a moment. But do we think that this movie would be better if DMX had like a Will Smith style song explaining the plot of this movie? Sanchez? My theory is that you could see, you could perceive X Gon Give It To You as a kind of loose, like, you know, retelling of this movie. And my hot take is that it already exists and it is X Gon Give It To You and it's already in there and the movie is better for it being in there. You know what? I... I think I was prepared to make an argument that yes, it would be better, but I think you're right. <laughs> Actually, I think like it loosely, yes, it does. It does work. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was gonna say that like if you asked him to do that song, he should have said no and just give them X go and give it to you. Like maybe that's what I happened. reject the making of any song for this movie other than X go and give it to you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so normally we have a segment uh, which scene was DMX the most visibly high in, uh, but IMDb informs us that DMX was sober for the making of this movie, or he, he'd smoke weed offset, but when he was filming, he was he was there. Good for um, DMX, by the way. Good yeah, for him. Actually. Maybe yeah. that's where we um, see the uptick in his acting. Hmm. Very possible. Yeah. Um, so I have thought of a replacement question. Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, the Oscars. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your best picture winner that year was The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Mm -hmm. Really? Uh, yeah. Your other nominees I, I were... Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, that was the year that, like, that movie won, like, literally every Oscar. Um, I, I totally forgot. In my mind, they were doing the same thing that, like, Marvel movies are doing now, and that they're winning all, like, the technical Oscars, but they're not winning any, like, acting or anything. Sorry. Oh, no, it, it won Best Picture, and uh, yeah. it did win, like, pretty much all the technicals as well, but it won Best Picture. Uh, okay, um, well. And, like, Best Score. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it won everything. Cool. Um, but your winner was Return of the King. Your other nominees were Lost in Translation. Oh, wow. Master and Commander. Mystic River and Seabiscuit. It beat out some extremely Oscar bait movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. My question to you is, which one of these movies would have been best served with Anthony Anderson and Tom Arnold riffing over the credits? Oh, gosh. I feel like you guys already know my answer. I don't. I don't, okay. so I'm going to let you go. Lord of the Rings Return of the King. <laughs> okay, obviously. Yeah. That a million been times over. Please. <laughs> Please. What are the Grey Havens? 
What happened at Hobbiton? Where was Tom Bombadil in this entire story? What about the Eagles? So many things for them to riff about. Wait. Obviously, it's obviously Return of the King. I'm sorry. Hands down. I just want to say really quick, we need to have a separate conversation about some of these things because I just watched this. I don't remember who the Grey Havens are and I don't remember who Tom Bombadil is. So I'd like to, I, if we can text about this later to clear these up. We, these great. are both details from the books. What? Oh. No, the Grey Havens are in the movie, aren't oh, they? Oh, right. Yeah, the, the Grey Havens are in the movie. Yeah. But, Tom Bombadil uh, is a Tom- character from the book. But like that could be a fun riff. Like, where did Tom Bombadil go? Yeah, he, he's a he's like amongst Lord of the Rings fans, he's like the biggest thing that was cut from the book. Gotcha. Yes. Although I actually personally disagree with that. Um, I still think it would be a fun thing to riff about. But yes, we can text we can text more offline. Cool. About Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Okay, great. Um, so I, this was hard for me. I was going back and forth between a couple different ones. Ultimately, I settled on Master and Commander. I want to know what they think about Sea Warfare and Russell Crowe. Yeah. (laughs) You want to listen to Tom Arnold and Anthony Anderson riff about Sea Warfare? I mean, yeah. I want to see how they can make it funny. (laughs) I, I went for what was the most challenging, I thought. I think that would be interesting. I think they could find some some nuggets there. Yeah. Some comedic nuggets. I'm going to go with Mystic River. See, that's one of the ones I was considering. Um, I would love the tonal juxtaposition too much. <laughs> between, like, this deadly, serious, depressing movie ending with Anthony Anderson and Tom Arnold making jokes at one another. Yeah. Just, just have one of them be like, well, uh, Sean Penn's daughter's still dead, and the guy we had murdered for it turns out he didn't do it, and everyone's life is miserable now. But hey, uh, your mom's fat. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know anything about Mystic River, um, oh. and now I feel like I know a lot. I I didn't exactly spoil Mystic River, but it's fine. I I do believe that things that are more than ten years old are perfectly acceptable to spoil, <laughs> except yeah, for Team Witch, obviously. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, all right. So our last segment is rankings. Very, very important segment. Um, yes. Let's see. Sanchez, why don't we start with you? Okay. I think number one for me is still Romeo Must Die. Cool. Um, I, like, legitimately enjoyed that, and I thought it was fun. Um, <laughs> I'd say number two is probably Cradle to the Grave, although, again, I, like, I thought it was, like... Even in terms of, like, kind of, like, schlocky, bad action, like, quote-unquote bad action movies, it, like, I think still kind of misses the mark in that it's just, like, kind of, like, it doesn't stand out enough, I think, to be fun. But -hmm. I think that's still my number two. Um, Number three is, again, Belly. And then number uh, 70,000 is Exit Wounds. Again, because Steven Seagal is garbage. (laughs) Garth, why don't you go next? Um... Belly number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romeo must die two. Mm-hmm. Cradle to the grave three. Mm-hmm. And uh, exit wounds at negative ability. <laughs> um, for me, it is cradle to the grave one. Romeo must die two. I still put exit wounds at three, knowing that other movies will get slotted in above it. And then belly is four right now but there is a there's always a chance it could move around we'll see how it goes there's there's hope for it but 
We'll see. I I like that you've seen this movie multiple times and you're still like, oh, I could I could change my mind. What, oh, and about Belly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we, I, this is where I sort of, like, hit the end of my DMX filmography knowledge, so anything after this, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen before, so there is always the chance that I could think something is worse than Belly. Gotcha. Very exciting. We shall see. All right, so, uh, concluding thoughts. Um, I think for me, it's mostly just that, you know, there's one extremely good scene in this movie, and then I think the rest of it is, like fine but i kind of wish there was a little bit more there um any other con- concluding thoughts from you guys there could have yeah, been I had one. oh sorry you go ahead Gar. oh no you go ahead i mean i just started my son i feel like you started the polite way so you go <laughs> okay um here's my final thought uh steven seagal can go fuck himself <laughs> <laughs> and uh he eats weird so, oh man, we yeah. should have ended on you. Dang it. Uh, mine was just going to be that uh, I wish there had been more MMA, and I hope there are more MMA scenes to come in our future movie watching. And I will be ready I do not. for another Chelsea's Octagon. Our, uh, next time we're going to do Never Die Alone. It's going to be our last theatrical movie for a long time. After that, we're going to just do like VOD trash. Um, possibly forever. Um, until top five. So good stuff all around you can check us out on our various social media on twitter we are bwita pod that is b-w-i-i-t-a-p-o-d on instagram we are at bwita podcast very clear distinction we are b-w-i-i-t-a-p-o-d-c-a-s-t and on facebook we are but what if i tried acting thank you for listening this has been great thank you chelsea (laughs) thank you guard As always, this has been a pleasure.